I've been told Clyde Napier wanted to tell everybody hi. Um, he's in Kansas City right now at a veteran's home. They're waiting for a spot to open up in Mount Vernon so he can be a little closer. But uh, he, by all accounts, is doing well. And uh, I know that we miss him. And uh, as I was just told, and as we all know it's true, he's one of the most upbeat individuals you've ever met in your life. So I know he's handling it probably better than everybody else in his life is handling it. But uh, well, hopefully. If you're watching this, Clyde, hello. Uh, but yeah, um, so this morning we are in week five of our series. We've got this week and next week to finish up in Habakkuk. This week is kind of a continuation of last week. Last week, Rodney uh, brought the word and he brought uh, an amazing message that God had for Habakkuk and, and for really all people. Something that we can apply to ourselves is this, you know, don't complicate the message, right? Seek out some clarity, be plain, be simple with it. I think a lot of times is as Rodney said, you know, we make things way more complicated than what they need to be, right? Like, uh, what's your relationship with Jesus? Are you listening and following God? Uh, for this group of people that Habakkuk's dealing with, if they had just listened to God, they never would have found themselves in the position that they were about to find themselves in. And then, you know, patience. Patience, we hear, is a virtue. Patience is really uh, a fruit of the Spirit. It's a characteristic of love. Patience is uh, an important part of life that if you're like me, you're probably not very good at. But, uh, you know, we live in this instant gratification age where uh, we can get answers at the drop of a dime. I don't even have to type it in my phone anymore. I can just press a button and ask Siri and she'll tell me what she can find out. And sometimes she doesn't have the best answers. But, I mean, you know, things are simple. We look for instant gratification. We want the answers right this second. And that's not always how things work out when you think about plans uh, in as grand a scheme as God sometimes is working together. And so those things are important. So I'm going to give us just a really quick synopsis just so we remember kind of where we're at. Habakkuk complains. God responds. Habakkuk complains again, right? He's kind of like, yeah, I know you're moving now, but I'm not sure I wanted you to do it this way. And God responds last week with words saying, hey, be patient and make sure that you understand exactly what we're trying to accomplish here. And then this week, he kind of lays down the hammer in, in a nice godly way to just make it very clear to Habakkuk and to anyone who is reading this message that God is fully aware of what is happening and what circumstances are taking place. He sees, he hears, he knows, and as we talked about with his last response, he acts. But today we're going to look at some of the information. What he does this week is really takes us deeper in his knowledge of the Babylonians. Because Habakkuk is almost talking to God like, hey God, you don't know what you're dealing with here. You don't know who these Babylonians are. You, you don't really understand what's taking place. And God's having none of that. He wants them to know that that is actually the opposite. So I'm going to read a, a pretty good chunk of scripture, so bear with me. It'll be on the screen if you want to read along or if you're going to read on your phone, do that as well. It is chapter 2, verses 5 through 20. So he's continuing in his speech about the Babylonians, and he's talking to them, uh, talking about them almost as a, a whole, and he says, Indeed, wine betrays him. Again, the whole group of the Babylonians. Wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. 
How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. So just kind of a a clarity point, because when you first read this, it can kind of all run together. But basically, he starts with the Babylonians. He talks about how uh, they're kind of ruled by wine. They're greedy as the grave. They captive all, uh, cap- take captive all these peoples and destroy all these nations. And then he starts going into these woes. You're going to hear the word woe a lot. And he's talking about the Babylonians. Woe to them, because uh, they are trying to write a check and it will be cash, so to speak. Like, uh, as we will see here throughout uh, today, we reap what we sow, and that's what he's making clear. So that's kind of where he transitions in verse 6 to talking about the Babylonians, where he says, Will not all of them, all those held captive, all those mistreated, taunt and ridicule and scorn, eventually the Babylonians saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? We're starting in verse 7 here. Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for that fire? that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trust in his own creation, he makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to the wood, come to life, or to a lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord in his holy temple is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So God really takes the reins. He's letting Habakkuk know that, yes, while the Babylonians are going to be my chosen instrument to write this path that you guys have gotten off of, right, that my chosen people have strayed so far from me, I'm going to use the Babylonians to bring you back, but understand that their wrongs will not go unpunished. I see it all, I know it all, and woe to them for their actions because they will indeed reap what they sow. God begins this passage by taking us deeper in his knowledge of the Babylonians. And he, he really, as I already stated, doesn't want Habakkuk to think he's clueless because that's almost how Habakkuk has treated him. Like, you have made this decision, God, but it is the wrong decision. I know better than you, so let me educate you. And God just wants, he, he, he kind of goes on, he even gets repetitive. He kind of says some of the same things over and over again to let Habakkuk really know that he 
knows. So he begins with this description of the Babylonians, and he talks about how these people are ruled by wine. It betrays them. You know, we fight, we drink. We conquer, we drink. We imprison, we drink. It's Tuesday, we drink. Wine these days is bougie, right? Y'all know that word. Some of you know the word. Some of you are like, what's bougie? It's real fancy, right? Like, we're not talking about like wine in a box or wine with like a screw top. We're talking like the, you got to put the thing in and uncork it. Wine is fancy, right? You think of wine and you think of, do you have any gray poupon? At least that's what I think of. Like it is a, it is not just your normal spread. You know what I mean? We're talking about old school commercials. Do you have any gray poupon? No? Okay. Well, anyways, wine is one of these fancy drinks, but not for the Babylonians. Like for them, Wine is just sloshing. Like the wine skins are getting filled, then they're getting emptied, then they're getting filled again, then they're getting emptied. They have no regard for life or what they should actually be doing. They are just drinking. And that's kind of the picture that God wants to paint of the Babylonians. In Proverbs 23, 31 through 32, we're told, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Well, the Babylonians are snake catchers, okay? They're snake catchers. They are a drunken, barbaric people. When I think of this, I automatically think of every Viking show I ever watch. I don't know if you're somebody who likes like historically based shows, but like if you ever watch a show that's based around Viking culture, like they're drinking, you know, skull and they, the cup smash. And then they just like forget who they are in about 10 minutes. So I don't know what they're drinking. Probably not this wine, but that is the picture that we need to have in our minds. These ungodly, untamed drunken, barbaric people. They're arrogant. They have no ability to be satisfied as proved by their thirst, not only for wine, but to capture and rule all people and nations. They're unstoppable, they're unmovable, and they are unpunishable, at least by human hands. But scripture tells us in Galatians 6, 7 through 8, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And here we see the difference between what the Babylonians are and what God's chosen people should be. But the reason that Habakkuk and his countrymen find themselves in the position that they are in is because there is not enough of a distinction between the two groups. When God looks at both groups, he sees injustice. He sees barbaric torture of their fellow man. He sees people taking advantage of those that they should be treating as loved ones. And we've all found ourselves in this position where hopefully, but maybe, we're more on the Babylonian Habakkuk's countrymen's side where we are abusing others for our gain. And while unfortunately, but really the better side, being on the side of being the abused. 
Because what God is going to make clear, what he does make clear in this passage is that, again, he sees, he knows, he hears, and he is coming. And we will reap what we sow. So God's message to the Babylonians, to everyone really, is just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Now, again, I don't know about you. I'll be honest. I struggle with this. When I think about this, I thought about a story that uh, happened a couple weeks ago. It may even been as much of a month ago. But there was a gas station attendant, I'm sure you probably heard this story, who accidentally misset the price of the pump. And instead of charging $6.99 a gallon of, for gas in California, he charged $0.69.9 cents for a gallon of gas in California. And over 300 vehicles came and went without a word. It cost millions of dollars for that gas station owner. And as you might imagine, that man lost his job. It was a mistake. He certainly didn't mean to do it. There were 300 people who just because they could, did. And I remember when I first heard the story thinking, I would absolutely do it too. You know how crazy gas is right now? Like, thanks a lot, oil companies. Thanks a lot, so-and-so. You know, I don't feel bad for them. But as Christians, aren't we called to a higher standard? Just because we can get away with something, just because we have an option to do something, doesn't mean that it is a godly choice to make. Doesn't mean that it is something that we should do. Somebody should have went in and told this man, and maybe eventually did, hey, just so you know, your pumps aren't set right. I just paid $12 for a 40-gallon tank of gas, you know? Maybe saves this man livelihood, saves this man's job, but instead, people took advantage of a situation because they were able to get away with it. But God makes it clear, starting in verse 6 of the passage that we just read, the big old long passage, that the tables will be turned. The mocker will be turned into the mocked. You store up your goods that you've gotten through thievery. You prey on those less fortunate than you. But I'm here to tell you today, God wants you to know that eventually the predator becomes the prey. Why? Because God says it is so. God says it is so. They have shed blood. They have destroyed cities. And what God wants us to know through this story, through this instance with the Babylonians is this, that godly people are not intentionally intimidating. I use the word intentionally with purpose. I use it intentionally. Because yes, there are times where maybe we intimidate others. There are times where we find ourselves on the wrong side of things where we don't really have a lot of control over the situation. But intentionality means something. And the Babylonians were intentionally intimidating to the world around them. And as Christians, as godly people, we are not to be this way. We are not to wield power just because we can't. We are not to find joy in other sorrow. 
We aren't supposed to feel strong because we have made others feel weak. And woe to those who are because they will be intimidated. The Babylonians weren't only a force themselves as a people group, but their kingdom was a fortress, an impenetrable one. Verse 9, I'll read it again. says, Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. See, the Babylonians had ruined others to set themselves up. They took away the security of others for selfish reasons to build their own security. And these days, we might just say, hey, it's just business. It's just business. Whether we're talking about business or not, I had to make a business decision. It's either me or it's them. And society would tell you that's a perfectly acceptable way to look at things. You have a responsibility to yourself. You don't have a responsibility to others. Well, God says that's not so. That is not so. And you Babylonians who took away other security to build your own fortress. And you've conquered and you've enslaved and you've killed and these peoples that you've done this to, they may not be able to speak out against you. But the stones and the beams that have built your fortress will speak against you. Even if you get rid of all the witnesses, even if you hush the masses, people will know how you came about your kingdom. How did you gain what it is that you have? Was it by godly means? Was it through intimidation? Was it through bloodshed? Hopefully metaphorically. How is it that you have what you have? You see, godly people don't intentionally harm others for their own security. Godly people don't intentionally harm others for their own security. How do we apply that to our lives? How do we apply that to our daily lives? I'm a teacher. I don't make business deals. Right? But how do I make sure that I am not downgrading others that maybe I work with so that I look better It's something that we can all apply to our individual lives. Godly people also don't build empires off the blood, sweat, and tears of others. Woe to any of us who steals the effort of others, who literally pours out their life into our storage container. We all know what it feels like to have been taken advantage of, to work our tail off and to see someone else get the credit. Godly people don't allow themselves to be the ones who get the credit. Instead, they show immense humility to make sure that everyone else around them is seen, to make sure that everyone else around them is known and appreciated and that their efforts work for their gain. 
That's what godly people do. Rather than relying on the work of others, they get down next to others and they get their hands dirty as well. Verse 13 talks about how their labor, the people's labor who the Babylonians have captive, have taken captive. I'll keep on and say captivated, but it's different. It doesn't, it's not how the English language works, even though it feels like it should. He talks about how their labor will become fuel for the fire that burns the Babylonians down. How that which they have stolen will actually fuel the fire that brings their fortress to ashes. The knowledge of the Lord will consume them. This is victory. The Lord wins. The Lord wins. I've talked about this in the past, but one of the things that kind of blows my mind is that God allows us to participate in that victory. He uses us as instruments for his victory. Sometimes that requires us to go through some not great things. And Habakkuk and his countrymen are about to experience that firsthand. But everything the Babylonians have taken by greed and intimidation and bloodlust will be turned to ashes. But what remains is the glory of the Lord. It's a promise. It's a promise that what remains in this world, what will remain of this life is the glory of the Lord. So how are you contributing to the glory of the Lord? That's got to be our focus. That's got to be our mindset. And while we have that mindset, godly people don't objectify people for their pleasure. God talks about how these Babylonians fill their neighbors with drink to remove their inhibition and gaze upon their nakedness, how they take advantage of them, how they alter their mind state so that they can have their way with them. This is both literal and metaphorical. You use people. If you use people, God will use you. You reap what you sow. And if you use others, God will use you as a tool for his glory. And it will come at your expense. You will become his object. And then as he says in this passage, the shame will be yours. I want you to think about that. He's speaking to the Babylonians, these people who have abused the world around them, who have taken what God has created and said, oh, this isn't his, this is now ours. They shame their neighbors, they embarrass them, they take from them their pride, their integrity. And God says, that you take this and you cause shame in others. But the shame will not be theirs. It will be yours. You are not responsible for the wrong committed to you. The shame that you might feel for someone else's actions perpetrated on you, it's not yours. It is theirs and it will be theirs. That is a godly promise. And 
if you get nothing else from today, know that. So many of us walk around yoked by the shame of our past. Yoked by the shame of past actions that have been perpetrated against us that we had no control over. And we allow it to guide us through this life and to have control over us. Well, God wants you to know that that shame is not yours. It's not your responsibility. You need to let it go because those who wronged you will experience their shame tenfold. It's on them. And he will make sure that they reap what they have sown. Finally, godly people don't worship their self-made idols. Their self-made idols. The Babylonians were famous for carving their own images, for worshiping their means of destruction and worshiping their means of conquering. But they also made these carven, graven idols that they hand-carved and they covered in silver and gold and they were these beautiful little statues and they worshiped these things and they asked for guidance from these things and they sought life from these things, but they were inanimate, dead objects. They chose this over a living and breathing God. They can't speak. They can't act. They can't guide you. It's all very pretty, but also pretty useless. In life, we make idols out of various things. We build up our earthly kingdoms, and we put things up on pedestals that we consider important. Financial security, our beautiful homes, the vehicles we drive, the clothes we wear, the watch on our wrist, the video game system attached to our television. And we worship these things. And we don't think we do. But obtaining these things are what take our brain space, they take our focus, they take our energy, they take our time. We chase after these idols while telling ourselves that we don't have any. While God is on the back burner. And that is how the Babylonians come and sweep through a city and leave nothing behind. You understand where I'm going with this? We can't put everything else before God and expect God to put us first. And here's Habakkuk. All righteous and mighty with God. I know we're bad, God, but they're worse. Who is he, who are any of us, to say what it is that we deserve while we worship our idols that have been created for us, 
or that we have created ourselves. And while we worship these useless things, we're told that the Lord is in his rightful place and that the earth will be silent before him. So I tell you what God was telling Habakkuk. Be prepared. Be prepared to stand in awe and let God be God. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you right now and I thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and what it reveals to us. Father, I pray today that people see the importance of godly action, of living godly lives, of of seeing an example of what it is to be the farthest thing from godly and being real enough with ourselves to kind of use that as a measuring stick to see if any of those things show up in our character, show up in how we live our lives and in how we treat others. God, just because we can doesn't mean that we should. And choosing righteousness, choosing God before other things will always be the right decision. We chase after so many things. I know I'm guilty of it too. We chase after so many things at the expense of our relationship with you. And then we have the audacity to come before you and ask why things aren't going the way that we think that they should. Some of us out here today, God, are struggling with our past. Yes, some decisions that we've made, but so many decisions that were maybe made for us, acts that were perpetrated against us that we had no control over. And we're letting our shame over those things that we didn't choose, that we were maybe at the time too young to fight, too naive to know was wrong, too scared to voice what was happening. And we use the guilt of others to shame ourselves. We take these things on as if somehow we were responsible for other people's choices. But the shame is not ours. It's theirs. And you promise that it will be theirs. So God, I would just ask that for anybody out there today that is living a life at times directed and reduced by the shame they feel over past happenings. Whether a choice they made or a choice that was made for them. God, I pray that you would help us all to release that shame and to move forward in a life that is focused on you. If any one of us is putting anything before you, God, help us to remove it. Help us to cast it aside, to identify those things and to say they're not important. God's important. 
May we listen and may we follow you. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Stand with us now and worship. I'm going to be back in the back ready to pray with you. If you need to pray with me about anything, please do so. Uh, Jacob, I'm going to ask you to stand back under that television. I'll be straight back in the back over there. And uh, if you need to pray with somebody, come pray with one of us. We would absolutely love to pray with you. Otherwise, stand now and just worship God. Give him the offering that he deserves.